You are listening to this right now and either your kids have started school in person or at home or a combination of both. We are in the midst of the 2020 pandemic and there have been tons of changes, particularly to education. Whatever decision you chose, it wasn't an easy one. And behind that decision were a group of individuals that were at the forefront of pulling it all together. Today, I'm speaking with Wings Academy principal in the Bronx, Dr. Salvador Contes, where he breaks down the process of what that actually looks like. And what I have to say is kudos to the administrators, the teachers, and the entire team behind opening up schools in New York State during this time. One quick note, be sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Gift to Shift podcast and share your feedback with me. We are building a community and I'm so grateful to have you here. So Dr. Contes has a bachelor's in technology, a master's in education administration, and a doctorate in computing. You would only think that his degrees would have prepared him to go ahead and make this transition with his school to online learning with ease. Well, take a listen and listen to what he has to say about that. So tell me how your background, how you feel your background has prepared you for this one. So um, that's interesting that you brought that up because I think some of the conversations I have with other um, principals as well is those challenges, the challenges of uh, obviously the uh, the transition for the students, like going straight on on 100% remote, the fear of that, the challenges of that, and then the staff having those concerns and issues. And so I, you know, I, I, I put a lot of emphasis on my team. They're they're always there for me. Uh, I've I've learned it really quickly. And just to give you some context, I will make a year at that at Wings Academy in December. So I'm not even a full year in at Wings Academy. So to to see that transition coming in, if you if you did the math in your head, it was December of 2019. Three months into the school year, we jump into COVID. And then, so I would say I have been a principal at Wings Academy more online than, right. than physical at the building. Yeah. How did you adapt to that? I mean, so that was tough because, you know, I know my, my skill set and I know my background. So for me, the transition was pretty quick in the sense of I knew what I had to do, but I had to not necessarily transfer my skills, but transfer my knowledge to not just the staff, but to the students. And that was a huge hurdle. I'll tell you this much. Uh, we started in mid-March and at the beginning of June, I would say every staff member felt comfortable. Do the math, right? Beginning of June, weeks later, school ended. So they were comfortable 100% weeks before school ended. I mean, it was that difficult. So now we are transitioning into the fall where I think that staff feel they're at a better place Right. I can't say that about the students because the students did not, for the most part, I mean, they totally shared. And the way they share, they really uh, totally disliked the whole remote process. But when you speak to them, they understand why. But it's very difficult for a teenager to just transition the way they did and change their whole, uh, uh, how they go to school. So you are, you just, you know, three months approximately, right? December to March, you step into this brand new school in the middle of the year, by the way. So it's not even in September, it's the middle or August of the previous, you know, the beginning of the school year. You're in the midst of a school year that's already in progress. And then three months later, you have to transition. So how did you implement like, how did you know that, okay, this is 
going, I'm going to have to redirect. I'm going to have to shift and pivot and create a different approach for not only yourself as the leader, but also as for your teachers. Because I think the conversation a lot of times has to do with students. And I want to get to this kids soon, but I really want to talk about the educators and the administrators. I come from a family of educators, as you know, and there's a lot of stress. And I feel like we're not having the same conversation that we're having for the mental, emotional state of children as we are for administrators and educators, this is not the way they perceived their school year to be, obviously. And so there's a big learning curve that has to happen. So you said that by June, you felt like your teachers were kind of comfortable. How did that happen? So just to give you some context, mid-March, the mayor and the chancellor of New York City decided that the school, the students will not report to school, that the staff will report to school to prepare for this 100% remote learning. So teachers and administrators had three days to plan for full remote learning from March, mid-March until the end of June. So the so over the weekend, just, you know, idea after idea, thought after thought, which is going through my mind, texting my assistant principals about just giving me some ideas. And mind you, as you just repeated what I said, I'm three months into the building. So I'm still learning staff. I'm still learning students. Yeah. So I had to go to the team to say, you know, I, this is where I need your expertise, your knowledge to help me out. I can work on the tech because of my background, but I need you to provide with me with that. So Monday morning started this thrust of going to every single room we we I emailed the entire staff, the entire building. So it was teachers, school aides, paras, cafeteria workers, the custodian, and the school safety agent. Everybody was on my email that said, starting Monday for the next three days, this is what we're planning to do. And really the, the crux of it was breaking everybody into departments right. and start looking at what we're going to cover for the next three months. The great thing is there's so many tools out there. Uh, and you know, not to get so much promise, but it is a lot of, it, it helped us a lot, but Google Classroom was the number one choice to use because the ease of it and students were comfortable with it. So that made the transition a little bit easier by everyone go full blown Google Classroom. And we tried to as much as possible get a framework of how lessons would look and how activities would look. Mind you, again, we had three days to prepare for this. So one of the common sayings that you hear people bring up is, you know, you're building the plane as it's flying. So <laughs> That was literally through the whole time. So the three days kind of got everyone prepared as, men as much as possible mentally with some content to provide to the kids. But even that was very difficult because then we had to disseminate devices to the students within those three days. And then the DOE was able to connect with, the, with Apple to partner with them to order 300,000 iPads in New York City. And that was the next way of doing that. I took it upon myself to bring as many Chromebooks as possible to my house. And whenever a student needed it, I would just mail it from my home. I just, you know, whenever I found out. And then when the uh, DOE came through with the iPads, it took approximately three to four weeks before the iPads were available to, to the students. Uh, so we, I was just mailing out Chromebooks to the students as well as some staff because some staff, uh, even though all my staff have a, a Department of Education issued laptop, some of them went down. So I was mailing not only to students, but mailing to staff some Chromebooks so they can just have them. And then that, that was literally what was going on through remote learning on top of the actual teaching and learning. Yeah. 
it's I would assume I'm not a teacher, but I would assume that that was huge for your teachers. How did you what did you say to them who were having a hard time adjusting? And they were scared because it's not only the change and the shift in how they were teaching, but then they're concerned about their entire family and their health. And, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic back in March and April. There was so much unknown. We didn't know what was going on. We weren't sure the city was totally closed down. What were you telling your teachers about the adjustment period? So I'm very high energy, but I have this kind of passive way of how I do business. So I knew that they were going to come to me no matter what, being the school leader on what would be next steps. So what I did was I made it a point that every single night I would email them whatever was happening, whatever I heard from the city, from the chancellor, from teachers, from students, from families. And it's interesting when I look back at my first email, I think it was March 19th. Believe it or not, and I know you know that date very well, March 19th was the last in-person day for us. And that was my first email. And I look towards my last few emails and how that email totally transformed from the first one to the last one. It ended up having a a couple of tables multiple links, you know, it went to a point, it it almost went from um, a basic written story that I wrote in my notebook to a published book. I mean, it went that transformative with with almost like a table of contents of what they needed. And then the resources that my my administrative team and I created, giving them resources on where to find the tools. I made what we call as a one pager, but it wasn't one page. It ended up being three or four pages, one for teachers and one for students. And all that information was getting there. Um, Links on how to get a device for your your child, links on how to... uh, Uh, recreate an account for a student, links on breakout rooms. I mean, so we started really getting all that together and this was happening daily. So every evening I would stay on top and then I think the staff and they voiced it too. We would meet via Google Meet every Monday, the entire school. And then throughout the week, we would meet by department or by team. And they would share that they really appreciated them receiving a daily email regarding whatever was happening in regard to remote learning. So that's how I was trying to stay. I tried to do my best to stay on top of it. Yeah. Communication, I would think would be number one and flexibility number one one right like on top of the one on top even before communication you have to be flexible into how people are receiving the information and also you know how this is all changing you know and so fast without any guide you know, there's no book. Nobody's been through this before. We haven't really seen the effects long term. I mean, I have to be honest, when the pandemic first started, I thought, okay, well, this will pass soon. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, weeks turned into months. And here we're in August already. And things have drastically changed. And I'm not quite too sure what the outcome is going to be, or things are going to just transition. But now that you are two weeks away, so this episode will drop in the beginning of September. But you're two weeks away from opening up. And so that is going to be huge. What are you expecting? (laughs) You know, you look so, you know, for those of you who are listening, Sal is just so laid back. He's just, you know, definitely um, someone you want on your team and to be a leader wherever you're at, because the energy that you're exuding is just very calming. And I believe that that's really key in when you are leading people into the unknown. These are uncharted territories. So what are you expecting come September? And 
where are you at in regards to that, in regards to education for administrators and kids? So um, the communication grew a little bit even during remote learning. And we started finding out that it wasn't good enough that we were just emailing parents. So we were updating our website. I would say it started daily and then it got more weekly, but it was our website. It was via email through our system. Because students were also using Google, we emailed them. So there was two types of emails. The main system really has the parent emails, but in Google had the student emails. So we made sure we did that. And then obviously created accounts in Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. We recruited our students, our student government students, and gave them the whole, we're giving you the username and password. We trust you. I need you to get out the word whatever we're repeating. So if people are not looking at their emails and not looking at our website, right. or maybe not even watching the news, right. but they're happen to be following us on Instagram and, and, and Snapchat, they'll get the same information. They were excited. I mean, I have to be honest with you. Uh, our, our student government was so excited to be part of that and share that. It was, it was just to hear them say like, you're giving me the school's account. Like, yeah, you're taking over. But you're not wow. taking over on Takeover Tuesdays. You're taking over taking over remote learning. So you're going right. to be doing it on top of the work. So this, these were seniors in the student government that still had to do their work, but were willing to do it. And that was great on that. So we continued the communication on that part. And then going into summer, now mind you, we had summer school. And that was a huge challenge as well. So I had my kids. I had a, a large, in my cohort of schools in the Bronx, I had the largest number of, of kids in summer school. So I had my assistant principal and I, because in summer school, now you're down to very, very few people. There were only four people in my entire staff that were working with me over the summer for my summer school kids. And I had over a third of my population in summer school. So we were trying to stay on wow. top of them. You know, uh, I had a paraprofessional that volunteered and I'm pushing compensation to her because she was well-deserved, but she was helping us mornings, evenings, nights, and on weekends. And that's who she is anyway, right. on just getting those kids into summer school because New York State allowed us to get waivers for students that were not able to complete the courses. So what that would mean is if a student could not complete their algebra course because of remote learning, but was able to finish it, you know, you know, not finish it traditionally, but was able to finish it remote learning either in June, by June, or by summer school, they would give them a waiver that they are not, they do not have to take the algebra regents exam, which is the state exam they need to graduate. So New York State offered that to all schools in New York if students were able to complete the course either during the course of the year by June and or summer school so they can get a waiver. So now those students who completed it, and we have a large number of kids who did, now do not have to worry or concern themselves about taking a regent's exam in order to graduate, which was a plus. It was a great thing that came across by New York State on that. And then to go into the fall now, preparing for that, we had to provide New York City, the deadline was yesterday, August okay. 14th, uh -huh. to provide them with a, one of the models that we were presented with. We were presented with five models. Which one did you choose? And we chose model 3B, but we asked for an exception. So if you chose one of the models outright, you were instantly approved. So we, I spoke with my admin team. Um, I spoke with some teachers and I also have a school leadership team, which consists of parents, students, teachers. Uh, and I met with them. I meet with them every month, but usually not in the summer, but we met every month in the summer as sure. well to get their take on it. And I even had a meeting 
a parent engagement meeting uh, actually this past Monday to find out how many parents would choose any of the models. So overwhelmingly, they chose 3B. But what 3B, what we felt did not offer is the additional support students may need if they're struggling. Got it. Can you just explain what 3B is? Yeah. So 3B, so so model three was a, a, a three-tier cohort group. So that would mean you would have an A, B, and a C cohort because the building may not have been able to physically fit the number of students. Yeah. And so in in these models, um, you had some options, but it seems as though you guys really, and I'm thinking that most administrators, you know, are really looking at what's the best option for the kids. What is it that, what's going to be the best for their future and their education? And how are they going to be able to assimilate and adapt to this model? Mm-hmm. The le- with the least amount of resistance in the um, transition of this new way of education. And it seems like it's so burdensome for me on the outside, I'm sure for other people. I have children, but they're not in high school. I feel like this is a real crucial time and there's lots of emotions and there's lots of energy going on with high schoolers and you know they're just trying to figure out their way and there's so many other changes that are happening. So it's profound the decisions that you have to make for freshmen and sophomores and juniors and seniors. But what is one thing that you can say to high schoolers? You know, even when you choose something, you're just like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to choose this. I've gathered all the information, but as we know, not everybody's happy all the time. You're never going to make everyone happy at the same time. So what are you telling those who are in resistance? to the change, regardless of what model is presented in their school, because we have people who are coming from different avenues. What can you, how can you help support that transition with people who are resistant, particularly parents and kids? So um, when I sent out um, surveys to uh, find out what the parents were thinking, it did take me back. I think the number was 38, I'm sorry, 41% of the parents were thinking about going 100% remote. And I didn't think that number was going to be so high. I thought the parents were going to be more, I want them to go to school because the kids have been saying it since day one. You know, I can't learn this way. This is very difficult. Aside from missing their friends, right? I can't, you know, they can't just ask the teacher because now it, it could be a video they're watching that's not live or they're actually shy. They don't want to rate, quote unquote, raise their hand in a video, you know, in a room because it may be embarrassing. So I see that there's still some fear about sending kids back. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm a father of a teenage teenager as well. And those are concerns of mine too. But I think for me being in, in both places, right, being the dad at home, but being the principal at a school to think that what I can do is continually to gather information this weekend and this week, I'm trying to complete a reopening plan that I chose to do on my own, that I'm going to create, give it to the parents to say, this is the model that we chose. This is what Wings Academy is planning to do. It could change on a daily basis. It'll be a live link on the website that when I change it, it'll, it'll still be um, uh, an active, it'll, it'll, the changes will be there because I think that's what they want to see. When you give them too much information and it changes too quickly, you get the other effect where they get frustrated because of all the changes. Right. When you don't communicate at all, there's that frustration as well. So let me just, let me give you a second. I think you're right. I think that too much information at times 
kind of moves people in a direction of like total loss of control because it's just like, I have all these options. I'm used to you guys taking care of this. I'm used to just sending my kid to school. I'm not used to hearing about how you're going to implement what you're going to do. And now on top of that, I have to be fearful of if my child is going to contract the virus and bring it home to somebody who's at home who is compromised on some level, shape or form. Then I have the, and I'm just, right now I'm talking as a parent. And then now I have the information that says, okay, we're going to offer and we're going to offer, you know, five day full school. And then I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing? How are you doing it? How's that going to look? So you're right. There is a fine line in that, but I'm not quite too sure. Um, You know, I'm, I'm just not sure on, I think everybody is kind of rolling the dice on this. I, I just, you know, I just feel like everybody, as much as we can be prepared, we just don't know. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know come October 28th, what this is going to be like. We don't know how kids and teachers are going to feel. You know, many school districts across the country who have started school and who have closed two weeks a weekend. And so as a parent, I'm concerned about that. And I don't want to be inundated with information, yet I want to be able to make sure that my child is safe. I just think it's just a mess. I mean, (laughs) I just, I just feel like there's no right or wrong. You know, there's no, there's no way to be able to kind of, you know, get this together. It's, you know, and go ahead. I'm sorry. And I think, um, and I think for the school community, right. So for students, for parents, guardians, for even the, 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 the the community-based organizations around the school, the fact that we're trying to plan anyway, I think will, I'm hoping it will ease some of the nervousness because at least they can say, at least Wings Academy is trying, you know, Wings Academy was supposed to, as well as every other school, provide a model by Friday. Okay, but when that model's there, what does that mean? Okay, well, let me explain to you in the best way possible what it means. Well, what does that mean when the kids come to school? Well, let, let me try to explain what that means. So the point of this, you know, return to school plan, reopening plan is to give them as much information as possible, but without inundating them, because that's a fear, like I just mentioned before, about giving them so much information that it's like, it's too confusing. But if I can have something for them that speaks to, okay, is this what New York City mayor, is this what the governor, the mayor, and the chancellor are saying? What does that mean for Wings Academy, aside from another school, an elementary school, middle school, or high school? So I felt it was important for me to get that across. And I'm hoping to complete that document within the beginning of the week, you know, so I can share with them, which will still give us about, and it's two weeks for the staff to come back. So at least the staff will see it. They Hopefully they'll start reading it and getting into it and seeing what, what the thoughts are. Because my thought also was to bring in teachers a full week before they're asked to come in and have us plan out what we think it's going to look like. Because it's hard to, you know, it could look great on paper, but it's not an actual thing. So whether we're going to have markings on the floor, we are planning to keep the students as much as possible in the room. Right. But... Are there concerns from parents or teachers about keeping kids, students in a room for a length, a long length of time? There's all these other. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I it's in September. It's still summer, by the way. <laughs> we think it's right. fall, but it's still summer. You you know the 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 ability to be able to change all the air conditioning and ventilation systems is I don't think feasible. I mean, I I don't know, but I would think not. I mean, my kids aren't. You know, they're not. They didn't say anything about changing the ventilation system so that that's a huge task to take on. And so they have kids in the classroom, they have masks, they have cohorts, you know, my kids are six, you know, so it's a little different. 
when you're looking at high school students and you're looking at junior high school students, there is another level of, you know, caution that needs to be taken on. And then you have them in the room the whole day. I think that, you know, from an emotional perspective, it's different. So you have two schools of thoughts. I'm interested in finding out what your your thoughts are on this. Two schools of thoughts. One school of thought is the kids need to be able to socialize. That is huge. It's part of their development. It's something that they need. And it will be traumatic if they don't get their peer socialization needs met. Then you have the other school of thought, which is the kids will be more traumatized to be among their children, you know, among their teachers and their peers and not really be able to connect, communicate. Um, they don't see their mouth. They, they can't see any type of expression. There's no touching going on. There's no high-fiving. There's no playing. There's no going outside. You stay in the room the whole day. So the other school of thought is that's more emotionally traumatic than the opposite. Where are your thoughts on that? So part of the plan, bringing the kids back, were to bring, uh, and these are two buzzwords that are in the education world. So there's these culturally responsive sustaining education. And in short, we just say CRSE, and obviously social emotional learning, SEL. And we've been thinking about those two elements, about how do we integrate that into the curriculum and how important that is. And then recently, I would say within a month or so, the chancellor of New York City was making sure that these elements need to be part of your plan. What does that mean? So obviously doing as much research as we could, trying to think about what the fall looks like, how that actually looks in every single classroom. How does it look like kids walking into the building and how does it look like kids leaving the building? So little things such as students coming maybe into the building and when they're in classes, there's going to be mini breaks. We thought about having mini breaks to allow them to, you know, stretch the legs or whatever. And we're thinking about doing maybe one or two rooms at a time on different floors. So you wouldn't have any students running into each other because they're on different floors anyway, just so that they can have that ability to socialize a little bit. Some of the challenges are keeping them socially distanced, right? Keeping them physically distant. You know, I don't know how that's going to happen. Kids, kids are kids. They got to do whatever it is, right? So all we're doing is trying to find ways of, or, or I would say walking through a whole day as a staff person or a student and trying to figure out what we need to look at when that's happening. That's why my thought is to bring the staff in. Obviously, they will be compensated, but bringing them in to start thinking about how do we do this? Yeah, right. planning curriculum is one thing, yeah, but I think we can that, plan yeah. for that during their prep periods during their time a little bit, but we need more of a plan on the day-to-day with the students. So yeah, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I mean, the 100% remote brings the infection rate down, makes everyone maybe feel a little bit more at ease because the spread will be contained a little bit more. But then we got this issue of uh, kids not socializing, not developing. And then like, as you said, the other school of thought, then you got that challenge as well. So I go back to my return to school plan. Like the idea is when I'm done, I'm hoping to answer as many questions as I can't answer all of them, but answer as many questions as possible. So if a parent or a guardian or the community have a question, I hope to have answers for them as much as possible. And if it's something new, I will add that right in because I think it's extremely important just to keep it updated and to find out. But I'll have to be honest too. Sometimes I may not have an immediate solution 
And I'm okay with telling families that, that at the current time, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm, I'm working on it to figure out uh, a solution for it. You know, progress is always determined in, in a way that it can be measured, you know, and now that everything is changing, the success, quote unquote, of the students, of the education system just in general is evolving. How are you going to, do you have parameters to measure the success of your kids and how well they're doing? And if you do, is it going to be quote unquote, you know, do you take into consideration that they're learning remotely, that they're only there, you know, twice a week or three times a week or, you know, every six days? We've learned that during remote learning during the spring. It took, and it still took even towards the end, students and staff understanding that. I found myself on a weekly basis sharing with staff about being extremely patient, as much patient as possible, and doing their best to understand, you know, home situations. Right. Which started to hit them directly were when staff would bring up scenarios that happened in our school and people were shocked. We lost, you know, uh, parents. We lost uh, extended families. To the we, virus. To the virus. Yes, okay. And, and when it was brought up with everyone, it was, it was shocking and it was, it was disheartening. But at the same time, you know, we were trying to tell staff, that's why we want you to, to approach everything with fidelity. You have to make sure that you are doing your best to understand, you know, it could not be going very well at home. Um, I'll give you one particular situation where we had a, a family, a single mom with five kids. Two kids were in high school and the three were in in, in elementary school. Mom is the only person working. So mom expected her and needed her teenagers to help around. We found out just because we outreached every single day. Every single day we were making outreach with my team. And one of our paraprofessionals, when they were speaking to the mom, found out that only the, the oldest kid, which is a junior, which happens to be a senior now, only had one device. They only had the iPad, the DOE issued iPad. Mom did not know that she could have received an iPad for every single child in her family. To mom's defense, mom was working all the time. Sure. Mom didn't have time to listen to the news, to go on a website. Mom was working, coming home, and taking care of her family. So just because we happened to reach, the, the, the paraprofessional happened to call mom late at night, caught mom. Mom was, was extremely apologetic, and we told her, there's nothing to apologize. Right. Do you have what you need? And they found out that she needed. Now, it didn't make it 100% better, but the fact that she was to, able to get a device for every kid made it easier less uh, of the kids arguing with one another because of one device, but it made it a little bit easier and we understood that. So, you know, when, when, I, when I bring these stories up to the, to the staff, I says, we don't even know that this is happening. Right. And a lot of staff kind of stepped back and said, wow, like, you know, and it's not their fault. They didn't say anything to the mom. They didn't even interact with the mom, but we have to remember that these things do happen. So be mindful when you're asking a child for something or you're speaking to a parent, be mindful of the, 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 these potential issues. Yeah, every, you know, teachers, administration, um, parents and children are really facing some insurmountable challenges right now. Um, everybody is rising. You know, I really do feel the, I'm encouraged by this human spirit and what collectively we can do as a community, 
within communities with for our children for our staff but you know one of the things that is really close to my heart is making sure that everybody has a voice and the ability to be able to hear their voice because sometimes we don't hear it because we're not in connection with them or you know we're outside of that so what do you think is the most important part in kind of rising above and charging forward because it takes so much what keeps you charging forward as an administrator as a principal what keeps you kind of on track you seem so relaxed (laughs) (laughs) uh first and foremost uh my faith that keeps me grounded Every day, prayers every single day throughout the day, just asking for guidance, uh, what's next, preparing me. I'm not necessarily asking for answers. I'm asking for the ability to be patient, be thoughtful, uh, speak with, you know, approach things with fidelity, you know, speak with honesty, uh, speak with transparency as much as possible. You said it before, I'm not going to be able to uh, have everybody agree 100%. The good part is I'm not going to have 100%, 100% disagree either. But that's first and foremost. And all I can do is continually to give answers as I find them, as I provide for them, and let families and students know that I'm just I'm working every single day to make sure that I can get as many questions answered as possible. It's going to be some tough ones, right. but that's what, I, that's what I do each and every day. But I also do that with the collaboration of my, of my school, with my team, uh, with my administrative team, with uh, a core group of teachers, and with my school leadership team, with, with the parents involved too. You know, it's, I have to say that when you were talking, I was thinking this may be, you know, some people may be like, oh my gosh, he came in three months before the pandemic. This is like a huge, you know, challenge. And we spoke about that earlier, but really I think it's, it's an incredible opportunity. People really get to bond their connect. you, you, You know, I don't know if this is, it sounds like this is the case in your environment. You know, there's all you mentioned throughout the whole entire interview is your team, is uh, your um, the groups of people that you're meeting with, the connections, the communication, the calls, the conversations. Um, and, you know, it does present some huge opportunities. What do you see as an opportunity for our kids? How is this pandemic and the transitions that are happening with them and how they receive information, education? How is that going to be an opportunity for them in the future? A lot of hope um, on them knowing what we're doing for them. Um, We're also telling them what we're trying to do, preparing them. Uh, I think kids, you know, kids are resilient anyway. Um, I think they may look at this in the future as to say, oh, yeah, remember that COVID thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was crazy, right? (laughs) I mean, I easily foresee that as opposed to us, you know, thinking like, oh my gosh, that COVID thing really, really hit us hard. But, you know, I think what they'll see is, and and you're right, you know, it really made us connect. It made me connect more with my parents, more more with my students, uh, more with my my staff, uh, because you had no choice. You would speak to each other every single day. I mean, I spoke to parents every week, spoke to specific staff members every few days, but spoke to a, a, a group, a group, a small group my mint team being one of them every single day and multiple times a day. So you really got to see, you know, that roller coaster of emotions all the time. But I think at the end of the day, you know, and, and some of the kids were vocal, even the seniors that expressed their frustration of how things were. We, I mean, we even, we had a virtual graduation for them and they were very appreciative of that. And actually um, we did not get uh, permission to allow families and students to come to the building 
to disseminate the diplomas and their belongings from the school. But going around, searching on the internet, looking at the news, we got a couple of creative ways that we're going to next week surprise the kids with their diplomas. So I'm working out the plan right now, uh, figuring out how that works. Uh, I got enough people that want to do it because that's a it's it, that's that's never a shortage. It's never a shortage of having people come. And so I think when the kids see that, they know that you know the Wings Academy family is always there for them. And that is the most important thing, Sal. That's the most important <laughs> thing that yeah. people know that you you you're, you yeah. we have your back. And yeah. so with communication and flexibility and opportunities, you as an educator first right? You're an administrator, you're an educator first. What is the vision? I know you have a vision. What is part of your vision in education? Does this change the dynamic of how education is going to be in the future? So I think my my vision has always been to build relationships. That's always been a goal of mine. Um, I connect and I try never to lose connections with people. Um, And I know content is important. But I think at the end of the day, it's the relationships we build with one another that I'm hoping that, you know, you know, students as well as their families and staff see that, you know, at the end of the day, when we have to, you know, when we have that uh, opportunity, we have the grid anyway to actually take care of things, but we need the support of one another, right? I can't do it alone. They can't do it alone. So no matter what they tackle, whether the kids are tackling completing high school, maybe starting a a career in college, maybe uh, going to the military, maybe going straight to work, whatever that goal is, that they know that you you set those goals and you go after them. But if you ever get stuck, then you have your resources available to you. And you look for those human resources because that's what relationship building is about, to have that piece. That's what I expect. And I think, believe it or not, this remote learning has provided us with that opportunity to really understand one another and at the end of the day, this is what it's for. It's for each other, for one another, and the love that we have for one another. Uh, that that's going to make us, you know, uh, beat this thing. So um, uh, that's what I'm confident about, and that's what you know I, I continue to look forward to. Well, Wings Academy is definitely privileged in so many ways to have you, Sal. Um, thank you so much for talking today, and I appreciate your time. Thank not you. A, not a problem. Thank you. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Contes and really understand what these last five months have been. So make sure that you share this episode with teachers and educators, administrators, people that you know. He'll be back. Sal will be back talking about the educational system and if he thinks it's broken or not. So um, please stay tuned for that because that's going to be pretty powerful. Please share with your friends. Go to whatever listening platform you have and rate and review and subscribe to The Gift to Shift. We're building a community here. I'm grateful that you're a part of it. I want to know what you like and what it is that you want more of. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk next week.